With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, it's Nathan Exley here. Before we get into the new episode of my podcast, I do need to warn you. On this episode, you might hear me asking you to send me a message with your opinion. I love hearing your opinions, but the messages you hear me reading out on air are from the live broadcast of the podcast which takes place on Wizard Radio Station every Sunday from 3pm UK time. If you want to get involved, make sure you listen live then. Please don't try to send in any messages for this episode, as your message won't be read, but you might still be charged. Anyway, that's the legal bit done, now on to the show. And welcome, I'm Nathan Eckersley and on the show this week we are looking at Joe Biden's first year as President of the United States and asking how his presidency is going so far. Plus I'll be speaking to spokesperson for Republicans Overseas UK, Sarah Elliott. It's a packed show and I want to hear from you, so let's go. tends to focus on the big political issues and topics in the United Kingdom. But every now and again, we should check in with our friends across the pond. And what better time to do that than on the first anniversary of Joe Biden becoming President of the United States of America. The United States has been a deeply divided country for a number of years now, starting with the election of Donald Trump, which triggered a stark polarisation in the American people. Suddenly, almost everything became binary. To adapt a phrase, the personal became political. This led to a highly disruptive four years under President Trump, which saw Joe Biden make a comeback as the self-proclaimed unity candidate in 2020. Joe Biden is a veteran politician, having served as Senator for Delaware from 1973 to 2009, then as Vice President to Barack Obama from 2009 to 2017. Biden's Vice President, Kamala Harris, is a newcomer by comparison. She entered public life in 2004 as the District Attorney of San Francisco and then became Attorney General of California in 2011 until 2017 when she became the state's Senator. Between them, Biden and Harris have a wealth of experience in public service and should be turning America's fortunes around. Instead, the United States appears to be going backwards. The country is currently going through one of the worst cost of living crises for decades. Inflation is at its highest rate since 1982. Fuel prices have skyrocketed, with filling a car now costing $3.40 per gallon, which is 61% more than it was 12 months ago. Crime rates are at their highest in 21 years, and security on the US-Mexico border is near non-existent. 
Polling on Biden's performance shows deep levels of disappointment in his first year from the American people. According to a poll conducted for NBC News, his overall disapproval rating is at 54%, the lowest of any president in modern times in their first year. On COVID-19, 53% of people disapprove of how he has dealt with it, and 64% believe he is dealing with the economy poorly. With such poor polling figures, Biden decided to hold a marathon two-hour press conference, which was disjointed and rambling to say the least. There are many who say that President Biden is displaying symptoms of cognitive decline, which is a very serious accusation. But when a journalist from Newsmax asked Biden why he believes so many people think this, rather than refuting the accusation and simply putting it to bed, all President Biden said was, I have no idea. Here is one such example of Biden from this press conference discussing the upcoming midterm elections. Has, is becoming much more informed on the um, the motives of um, some of the political players and some of the and the political parties. These accusations come after a number of incidents, including forgetting the names of people in his cabinet who are sat next to him, losing track of sentences halfway through, and appearing to fall asleep at the COP26 summit in Glasgow, amongst other things. Now there is a very good chance, and I sincerely hope that it is the case, that this is Joe Biden simply showing his age. He's 79 years old and doing a job which holds the balance of global security in his hands. Every US president has made slip-ups every so often, and that's fine. But with President Biden, these unforced errors are a weekly, sometimes daily, occurrence. And when the President of the United States is on camera struggling like that, one cannot help but feel that America's adversaries, like China and Iran, are watching with glee. On top of this, America's reputation around the world has been shot with President Biden's foreign policy. Early on in his presidency, Biden announced the withdrawal of US troops from Afghanistan, which led to the Taliban advancing throughout the country and toppling the democratically elected government. The Taliban's rapid rise to power forced America's allies, including the UK, to make a chaotic withdrawal, which was conducted from Biden's bunker in his home state of Delaware, from the Somerset retreat of Boris Johnson, and from the Greek sun lounger of Dominic Raab. As I speak to you now, there are still hundreds of Americans trapped inside Afghanistan, 161 days after the withdrawal concluded. Biden's credibility and judgment was seriously called into question following that disastrous episode in his presidency, and in the press conference I mentioned earlier, he made another huge strategic error. In light of Russian escalation in tensions on the Ukrainian border, potential NATO intervention is certainly on the table. But President Biden made a truly astonishing comment. Listen to what he said about a US response to a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Russia will be held accountable if it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, etc. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force amassed on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia. Here is the President of the United States, essentially giving a green light to Vladimir Putin, 
by saying he can invade the territory of a sovereign nation state. <coughs> Excuse me. He can invade the territory of a sovereign nation state only if it is a minor incursion. It is astonishing that the leader of the free world could, intentionally or not, sanction an illegal intervention by Russia into Ukraine. Even Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky sent a carefully worded tweet aimed at Biden, saying, and I quote, We want to remind the great powers that there are no minor incursions and small nations, just as there are no minor casualties and little grief from the loss of loved ones. I say this as the president of a great power. Furthermore, new German Chancellor Olaf Scholz refused to speak to Biden about Ukraine earlier this week, leaving the United States further isolated from her European allies. The US State Department, their equivalent of the UK's Foreign Office, has ordered the immediate evacuation of American embassy officials from Ukraine, reminiscent of the events in Afghanistan just five months ago. Joe Biden is at a crossroads. Domestically, he is staving off an economic crisis and a mass illegal migration crisis on the Mexican border. Internationally, he is losing friends and alienating people. He is one of the most unpopular presidents in modern history and going into the midterm elections for Congress in November. Current, prediction, current predictions and projections show the Republicans making significant gains with them potentially retaking the House of Representatives and possibly the Senate in protest to the Democrat administration in the White House. Now, with a potential conflict developing in the Donbass between Russia and Ukraine, President Biden must work on restoring not only his reputation and that of the government he leads, but of the republic that he is presenting on the world stage. I want to hear from you on this, so please do get in touch. You can tweet us or DM us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at WizRadio. You can vote in our poll. The question of the day is, has Joe Biden's presidency been a success so far? To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to vote live. You can text us at no extra cost, only standard network rates apply at 07807 183538. You can email us station at wizardradio.co.uk. All of our contact details can be found on our website at www.wizardradio.co.uk. We'll be back after this. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Let's hear what you have to say. And our first message today comes from Ed. Ed says, I want to say, Nathan, that even suggesting that Joe Biden is experiencing cognitive decline is playing into a narrative that is just completely unproven. He's the oldest president in US history, so yes, he's going to be slower than someone like Obama, who was pretty young when he became president. This cognitive decline comment has been fueled by Fox News, in the same way that Fox News pushed the narrative that Obama wasn't actually an American. 
It's fake news, it needs to be eradicated, and it isn't helping anything or anyone. Well, thank you for that message, Ed. And I, I, I should say, I'm, I'm not a doctor, I don't have any medical background, but it's, it isn't just Fox News that's saying this. I know they have led on this in a number of their programs, and Fox News is well known for its very wild predictions and uh, not quite as truthful as it should be reporting. But nonetheless, it isn't just Fox News that is reporting on this. I've, I've seen clips from CNN and uh, MSNBC, other major news networks in the United States, simply discussing this. And I'm not saying for a moment he definitely does, because that would be for a medical professional to determine. But it, it is an interesting point to, to look into. And you know, as you say, he is the oldest president in uh, U.S. history, and yes, of, of course, he is uh, going to be slower than, say, Obama and other younger presidents. And I, I did mention that in my uh, opening remarks that I, I am sincerely hoping that it is the case that he, he is just showing his age, is being a bit forgetful. But you know, the, there are a, a number of uh, incidents throughout his first year as president of the United States where he has really struggled and it's been on camera and documented. And it, you know, obviously, as I've said, it is for a medical professional to make that determination. But when, when so many media outlets now, not, not just Fox News, as you say, but uh, other uh, particularly supportive uh, outlets of President Biden in recent weeks have been commenting on this, then it is certainly a discussion to be had about if it is the case that President Biden is in this position, then... You know, what what is the contingency? Are powers delegated to his vice president or other members of his cabinet? But it, th there has been a lot of fake news spread in the United States and has gone around the world. You've, you're right to point that out. But on on this particular issue, I uh, you know cognitive decline. It's a very serious accusation, and I I don't make that lightly. You know, it it is something that has very serious repercussions if that that is the case. And it isn't something that we should make light of. But when a number of clips of President Biden struggling during speeches or when he's been documented hosting meetings and really visibly struggling to remember the names of the people he is sat next to, people in his own cabinet in some cases, you know, then the questions must be asked about the mental fitness of any president. Qu questions were asked about Donald Trump's mental fitness uh, a number of times throughout his presidency. I mean, yes, he made a number of uh, quite er erratic decisions and uh, some uh, decisions that certainly went against the usual conventions of a U.S. president. And you know, e even questions go going even further back uh, towards the end of Ronald Reagan's presidency as well were were asked because again he he was uh, heading towards his late seventies by the time he was finishing as president, and upon leaving office he he was unfortunately very sadly diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and that's eventually what took his life. But I mean I'm not, I'm not for a moment suggesting that's the case with Joe Biden not not for a second. But again it is absolutely something that is worth looking at and considering as a possibility when there are there's so much evidence now showing him really struggling on camera. And it, it, I really do sincerely hope that it is not the case and he is just simply showing his age. Well, thank you for that message, Ed. Our next message comes from Daniel. Daniel says, I'm hypothetically a Joe Biden supporter. 
I'm, I'm British, so not actually a supporter of any of them, but if I was an American, I would be a Democrat voter. But I'll admit that I watched the Afghanistan exit through my fingers. But Afghanistan was something that Joe Biden inherited. He didn't decide to pull troops out of Afghanistan. Donald Trump did. So any talk of America abandoning Afghanistan is really on Trump's feet. Obviously, the exit was a disaster, and some of that is on Biden's feet. But don't get history mixed up. Well, thank you for that message, Daniel. And yes, Donald Trump did announce when he was president that there was going to be a withdrawal from Afghanistan. But Trump went about this very differently. He actually got around the table with the Taliban in with talks based in Doha in, in Qatar. And they negotiated, they discussed, they drew up a, a strategy with the Afghan government as well. And they worked out a peaceful and very gradual withdrawal. When President Biden uh, took over last year, it was actually the case that he ordered the State Department, again, the, the US equivalent of our foreign office, he ordered the State Department essentially to just cancel the, the plans that Trump made and because it was part of this great bonfire of undoing lots and lots of things that Donald Trump did as president because obviously as a Democrat, he was so passionately opposed to what this Republican president had done during his four years in office. And one of those things was uh, undoing the plans for a withdrawal of Afghanistan. Now, when Biden announced this withdrawal, it, it came fairly out of the blue. We knew that Biden during the 2020 election campaign had already committed to pursuing a withdrawal. But when he announced the, uh, that it was actually proceeding, he did so by saying almost essentially, it's happening right now. We're, we're going to pull all our troops out with it within the next few few weeks. And as a result of that, he did eventually say within this same speech that he wanted all troops out of Afghanistan by the time we mark the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks. Now, the critics of President Biden at the time said it, it was just a a cynical move to try and find a politically convenient deadline to meet in order to try and win some favour. The, the poll, polling rate at the time, again, it wasn't great. It's only gone further down for President Biden. But the, many saw this as just a move to have a significant date as a, a marker to have all troops withdrawn by. Now, when President Biden did this, Obviously, the, those initial plans that had been negotiated under the previous administration had gone out the window. And so that essentially gave the Taliban the green light almost to go in and proceed to take over the, the country as they, they did. And as we saw in those horrendous scenes of that chaotic withdrawal and by abandoning those longstanding plans that President Trump had made, they may not have been perfect, but at least they were an agreement, a negotiation that had consent from, from all sides. And by abandoning those plans, that undermined the United States position within the region and therefore allowed the, the Taliban to essentially just proceed and, and take over as they did. And that implicates so many other countries as well, like the UK, as we saw, like Germany, like the Netherlands, like other countries that were in, involved in the Afghan war and obviously are NATO allies. So you're right to point out that Donald Trump did order the withdrawal, but the way it was actually executed was very different from the plan that Trump drew up with the Taliban and with the Afghan government in those talks in Doha. Thank you for that message, Daniel. 
Our next message comes from Rose. Rose says, Joe Biden is failing because he stood as a candidate to unite the country. And he isn't doing that. The country is as divided as ever. He has a 52% disapproval rating, so the country is as divided as ever, and his real problem is that he doesn't have real loud support. There are people who want him to do well and people who hate the Republicans, but not really people who are massive Biden fans, in the way that there were massive Trump fans, and that makes Joe Biden vulnerable. But this sort of decline is common. Barack Obama started with a 70% approval rating when he became president, and a year after his approval was just 50%. Biden's is 42, which is lower, but not massively. Trump's approval rating was lower than Biden's too. He had a 45% approval rating while he won the election, and then was at 35% after his first year. The numbers are common, and it's more worrying for Joe because his whole policy was to unite, and he isn't. Well, thank you for that message, Rose, and I agree with you there. One, one of the slogans from Joe Biden's campaign, actually, towards the end of the, the campaign, when it was ju just that uh, battle between Trump versus Biden, one of those key slogans was to, to win a battle for the soul of the nation. Now, that that's a really stark claim to have for a, a campaign. I mean, as we've discussed before, that America has been such a divided country, as you say there as well, for so long now to phrase this as saying that you are fighting this election to f win the battle for the soul of the nation it again that that really doesn't help with those divisions even though it, it tries to because essentially you're you're saying that america you're acknowledging the fact that america is divided rather than having optimistic messaging it's immediately saying america is divided and I'm going to win by taking one side of this argument, rather than trying to understand why there is so much division, why the other side, if you want to call it that, have such disagreements with Joe Biden or the, the Democratic Party and are such ardent Trump supporters. Because it's very easy to call Donald Trump out for a number of things he did throughout his presidency. But there is almost... a a sense of ignoring some of the achievements that administration had, such as tax cuts, such as the, the Abraham Accords, which were a, a peace agreement or a normalization of relations, diplomatic relations with Israel and a number of Middle Eastern countries, which was seen as a huge step forward in trying to bring peace to the Middle East and in such a, a troubled region of the world. So th those are, are just two examples. But it's wrong just to say, oh, uh, Biden, we should support Biden because he's not Trump, as, as many did. In fact, during the campaign, there was even a, a fringe organization called Settle for Biden, which is essentially to say, well, there's no one else to defeat Trump, but he'll, he'll do because he's the only alternative we've got and the, the most credible alternative at the time. I mean, that it's not exactly a, a ringing seal of approval, but... You know, to to frame your entire presidency as this unity candidate to heal those really deep rifts within the nation, the fact that he isn't doing that is causing him to be so unpopular. And you've mentioned some of the approval disapproval ratings there of other presidents. What one recent poll as well showed that Biden is polling just thirty three percent approval, which again is is lower than Trump's uh, first year rating of thirty five, as you as you've mentioned there. So. 
he seems to be failing almost on all fronts, not just on unity, but again, on economy, on foreign policy, on crime, on border security, things that really matter to the American voters who place their trust in, in him in November 2020. So thank you for that message, Rose. And I do agree with you there. He isn't doing what he was elected to do. And that really could come back to bite him in the midterm elections this November, which chooses uh, the next members of Congress. Our next message comes from Matthew. Matthew says, I think it kind of depends on what you blame Biden for and what is out of his control. Inflation rising is something that is a global economic trend, Nathan. We're experiencing it in the UK too. And that isn't helped by all the stimulus checks that Trump signed off on whilst he was in office. Also, employment is much better than it was under Trump. The job market is also positive at the moment because uh, at the moment that people are leaving jobs because they are so confident that they will find new jobs that suits their lives better. The supply chain problems that the UK and the US have experienced suggest that we need to automate things more. Things have caught up with that. Is that something that you can solve in a year? I know I've just made lots of excuses for him, which I think he deserves, but you do need to look at things from a balanced perspective. <clears throat> well, thank you for that message, Matthew. And Yes, there are some real global issues at the moment, like the supply chain crisis as well. And that's something to do with, again, uh, much of the manufacturing in China as well. They are limiting supplies to Western nations who've voiced concerns about the human rights record or the suppression of democracy in Hong Kong, uh, big political issues like that. And again, inflation. Much of that is to do with lockdown, the, the lockdowns that countries around the world introduced to combat COVID-19. And again, it's it's an incumbent on individual countries to work out whether or not lockdown was the right or wrong thing to do, as, as the UK will do, I'm sure, in the next few months when the Prime Minister does eventually announce that big, lengthy inquiry into the government response to tackling the coronavirus. But just going back to the United States now, the, the lockdown packages that Donald Trump signed off uh, did, did provide significant stimulus checks uh, for, for the American people, but it was primarily to support businesses. President Biden's uh, stimulus checks sent, sent out a $500 check to every single person in the United States. Essentially, just uh, it, it's, it was almost phrased by some as free money, essentially, just to go out and spend and kickstart the economy. But th there's no such thing as free money. There is no magic money tree, to use the phrase of Theresa May some years ago. You know, this is all taxpayers' money. This is all pu public government money. And that's only adding to America's immense national debt. I mean, th that initial stimulus package that President Biden signed off that saw those uh, $500 checks mailed out to uh, in individual households, you know, th that that cost a trillion dollars. I mean, that That's just a huge, huge figure. And now this new infrastructure bill by... Biden wants to pass through Congress, which he's having difficulty with because it encompasses so many other things like voting rights reforms and uh, amending constitutional procedures within Congress. There's lots of other different things, and he's calling this the Build Back Better bill. That's expected to cost another $2 trillion, on top of that trillion from the, the stimulus packages. So, you know, th th there's so many issues with Biden's economic policy here that you know, you have to try and work this out as do is it right is it right to just give out these checks and these stimulus packages to kickstart the econ economy and hopefully 
uh, reap back the losses through uh, in industry just rebuilding after being shut down for so long? Or is it simply just adding to a soaring national debt and putting even more pressure on households and increasing the cost of living and through inflation? That's an issue countries around the world are facing at the moment and certainly in the United States with inflation. Thank you for that message, Matthew. And our next message comes from Sam. Sam says, in my opinion, it's about what's next. The first year for most presidents is disappointing. Everybody focuses on it and it, this time it leaves, yeah, you learn that most of the promises they made whilst campaigning uh, were empty promises. But there is still a long time until the next election. Obama didn't have a great year but still won a second term. The game isn't over yet and whilst I agree Biden's first year has not been successful at all, it's been a disaster. At least it doesn't dominate the news all day every day compared to Trump. Well thank you for that message Sam and Yes, of course, it's always difficult within a, a first year to do a lot a lot of things that you promise. Again, we see this, for example, in the UK just after a general election. The circumstances are all, always going to impact how you govern a country. But yes, it, it was certainly a more disruptive time, particularly in the news cycle for Donald Trump. And whilst Biden's so far uh, not been great for his first year, hopefully things will progress and hopefully he can use the remainder of this congressional term, which it sees the Democrats run both chambers of Congress to really pass a number of significant uh, pieces of legislation before that could potentially flip in November. Well, thank you for that message, Sam. And a reminder that to get involved, you can tweet us or DM us on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Radio. You can vote in our poll. The question of the day is, has Joe Biden's presidency been a success so far? To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to vote live. And you can text us at no extra cost at 07807 Only standard network rates apply. And you can email us station at wizardradio.co.uk. All the contact details can be found on our website at wizardradio.co.uk. We'll be back right after this. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. Let's check in with the results so far on this week's poll. The question of the day is, has Joe Biden's presidency been a success so far? Well, only 37% of you say yes, it has. Well, 63% of you say no, it has not. Well, please do vote in the poll if you haven't already. To vote on the poll, visit wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen to vote live. And if you want to send any of your messages through, then all of our contact details will be found on our website at wizardradio.co.uk. Now, whilst we've been looking at what's been going on in the Democrat administration in the White House, the Republican Party has had something of a setback during Donald Trump's presidency. However, Biden's first year has caused something of a revival within the GOP, as they're also known. My guest works with the Republican Party's branch in the UK and also runs a think tank championing UK-US business and political relations. My guest this week is spokesperson for Republicans Overseas UK and chair of the Hamilton Society, Sarah Elliott. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Now, Joe Biden's been president for exactly a year now. 
How do you think his first term's going so far? <laughs> well, if I had to grade him in the American grading system where A plus is best and, you know, F is failing, I mean, I think he deserves an F. And I'm not just saying this from uh, a biased perspective. Um, I mean, the, the polling is, is showing this as well. Um, listen, he was at 55 approval, 55% approval, and he's completely flipped it. He's not 55% disapproval. Um, in every single metric that you can measure the country and his performance, he has failed. Um, I don't even know where to begin, really. I mean, he's he's probably the worst president we've ever had. And that trumps uh, Jimmy Carter. And I'm sure Jimmy Carter's really happy that he's lived long enough to see him replaced as the worst president. And, and so let's, I guess, just break it down into different sections. And, you know, your listeners can challenge me on these kind of aspects and they can th think about it. But I mean, you know, he just, he, let's, you know, you can think about it, you can challenge me on it, but I really don't see there's any other way to view it. First off, the economy. Um, we are now hitting 7% inflation, which is the highest inflation rate we've had since 1982. Um, so the consumer price index is skyrocketing for everything from gas prices, which are up 50%, to like rental cars, which are up 36%, hotels, restaurants, et cetera, et cetera. It goes down to everyday life. There are now empty shelves in American grocery stores. This is the United States of America that used to impress Soviet dissidents by our amazing grocery stores. And they are pretty spectacular when the shelves are stocked. We can't get COVID testing tests. You have to wait in line for three hours with other people with COVID. America's in a standstill. It's stuck. It can't get out of the mud. No one is showing up to work. No one wants to go to work. It's too expensive to hire people. We can't get access to our national gas or to our to coal, which I know younger people don't really like coal very much, but we can't even get to natural gas. We were exporting our energy and now we have to import it because of cutting off the Keystone pipeline. Prices are hugely increasing for families across the board. Uh, healthcare is increasing. Um, so basically every single demographic I'm gonna share with you has gone up in the wrong way. Um, let's talk about crime. Ever since 2020, and we've had the Black Lives Matter movement and the defund the police uh, efforts from the left, by the way. This is all from the left. This was never condemned by the vice president or the president. In fact, the vice president, Kamala Harris, she was then a U.S. senator, even paid money to into the accounts to get out um, offenders or rioters during the Black Lives Matter protesters uh, protests. Um, but crime has gone up. We had 19,600 murders in 2021 throughout the United States. All major cities have seen increases in crime. We, uh, in murders, for example, LA has gone up 13%. New York City has gone up 4%. Um, Houston, it's all gone up. They're in the hundreds now, okay? And they afflict mostly black and minority communities. 
Okay. All my friends are moving out of the major cities. They don't want to raise their children there. They're going to places like Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Tennessee. They're literally, the country is now segregating itself on whether you live in a red or blue state. And people who vote conservative or Republican will go to a red mm -hmm. state. Now, we all have to remember, too, that um, Republicans have always been the party with the less number of registrants or less number of people who registered to vote as Republican. Well, guess what? In four quarters, that has turned around for like the first time since the 1990s. Um, so we now have starting for, first quarter last year, there were 49 percent of voters were registered as Democrats. And there were 40% Republican. Now, with 47% are registered or aligned with the Republican Party and 42% with Democrats. Wow. This is all just in one year. This is in the first year after Donald Trump was gone. No longer president of the United States. You cannot blame anything on this on Donald Trump. He's not in office. He's not on Twitter. You, this, is, <laughs> this is at the hands of Joe Biden. Let's talk foreign policy. He was supposed to come in and build better alliances with our allies. He was supposed to be the great unifier to the country as well. What has he done? He's left our allies and our servicemen and women and many green card holders stuck behind enemy lines with terrorists in Afghanistan. 13 men and, William, men and women service members were killed in a terrorist attack in Afghanistan that was completely preventable, but it was because of our horrible withdrawal. He has been catastrophic with our allies, particularly the British. In a press conference, he's given almost a wink wink to Putin that says you can do an incursion into Ukraine. We have um, China on the offense. We have North Korea testing weapons again. We have Iran very close to a nuclear weapon. Um, the world is a lot less safe with Joe Biden in office. And on top of that, let's talk about him as a communicator. When he's not bumbling or mumbling jarbleness into the microphone. He's closing his eyes and he looks like he's asleep. There's something not right with him. He's obviously older. He's not his same self that he was for the previous 47 years in the Senate. Age happens, whatever, but he is 79 years old and cannot form a coherent thought or sentence uh, in a press conference. Or when he does, <laughs> he gives a wink or a nod to our enemies, like Putin. So crime, oh, immigration, the southern border has not controlled that at all. We have 1.5 million more interactions with law enforcement than under the Trump administration. We're at 2 million illegal aliens were confronted by law enforcement, think about the number that slipped through the cracks and got through our country illegally, who we don't know who they are. Um, and we don't know what they want to do. We, we could assume they're all great people, but we have caught um, some terrorists at the yeah. border as well. And of course, the drug cartels, we know that are, are all funneling this and human traffickers. And there's a lot of criminals who are seeping into the country. There are a lot who are not criminals, by the way. But we are a country of law and order, and we need to um, reinforce that and keep it safe for everyone. And funny enough, Hispanics voted for Trump 8% more than for Hillary Clinton um, in 2016. So I'm sorry, in 2020, than they did 
in 2016. So mm-hmm. Trump earned more Hispanic support and mainly because, you know, the Hispanic immigrants want uh, went through the legal process to become an American citizen. They want everyone else to do the same. Uh, it makes sense. And they are also great with small business and they're great family, uh, pro-family people. And they see that message echoed in the Republican Party. So all this to say, things are not going Mr. Biden's way. And so I give him an F. Okay. Well, that, well that's a fantastic overview of uh, <laughs> what's happened over the last 12 months. So let, let's just try and um, unpack some of that and uh, just break, break it down. So but firstly, on communication there, you, you've been mentioning about the, the fact that he seems to struggle at times on various press conferences or in, in interviews. Now, with, with that, there have been some concerns that's been raised by uh, some in the media or just in, in general conversation about President Biden's mental state. You know, he often makes his words, seems to get agitated at some of the critical questions and just simply forgetting names or uh, what, even drifting off mid-sentence, as you've said before. So do, do you think he is in some sort of a, a cognitive decline almost, as, as some have suggested? Or do you think it is simply President Biden showing his age and just being forgetful. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I, I'm not a doctor. No. I don't know his health records or his health history. I can just go and compare what he was like uh, throughout his career into what he's like now. And he's not doesn't have the same vigor uh, and the same ability to communicate. I mean, how fortunate for him that it was COVID and he got to stay in his basement all the time during the 2020 election campaign. And he didn't have to go out and shake hands and meet people and be on the stump all the time. Um, it worked out really well for him. Um, I, and, you know, we complain about Trump being a poor communicator, but this is this is what you have. This is the best you have, Democrats. This is what you have in response to Donald Trump. Like, What's you know, there's there's something wrong with you as a party as well. You know, if you, if this is the best you have and this is who you thought you could bring in and um, unify the country. And the funny thing is, is he's no moderate. This has not been in a moderate administration and he can't get his agenda through. Um, he has passed COVID relief. He has passed an infrastructure bill, but he can't pass voting rights reform, which actually is quite um I, I find unnecessary and the way that they demagogue Republicans as white racists who are trying to prevent people from voting is just absurd and the biggest lie. Um, but he thinks it's going to help him with the black vote um, and, and the minority vote. And they're, they're fighting battles that I don't think are necessary. Um, you know, he can end the filibuster because he has two senators of his uh, who believe it's a it's a perfectly fine instrument pr- of, of procedure for the U.S. Senate. That's yeah. Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kristen Sinema of Arizona. These are two Democrats who are more moderate. They have more moderate mm-hmm. constituents, and they're blocking him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's supposed to be able to unify us. Well, if you had moderate legislation, you probably could unify two members of your own party. So to answer your question, I... I, I can't say for sure what he has, but I think anyone who has can rub two nickels together can see that he's not all there. This issue around voting rights and the filibuster, it seems to be a very contentious topic at the moment. But for listeners who perhaps don't uh, follow US politics particularly closely, could you just outline what the filibuster is and what some of those main concerns are that people have? So the filibuster is just a procedure where you can take over debate on the floor 
And um, you could even, you could read from a phone book. <laughs> you could talk about whatever you want, um, but it stalls the process. So while you can get more, while you try to convince your peers that you're correct um, to get more votes on your side, or it could be just a maneuver so that um, behind closed doors, you can get more votes and slow the process down. But it, it's just both sides use it and it can be to the benefit of both sides. Um, and so that's why, you know, mansion and cinema were like, well, you know, we could be shooting ourselves in the foot just because, you know, so to pass legislation, you do need 60 votes unless it's budget related. And then you can do a simple majority. But, you know, the Democrats don't have 60 votes in the Senate um, and the filibuster can be a way for Republicans to use against Democrats um, to prevent their legislation from going through by dragging it out. Well, guess what? When the Republicans have the majority again, the Democrats can do that to the Republicans. Mm. So, um, you know, it's just one of those uh, parliamentary procedures type things that um, helps the party in opposition. Okay, so just taking a step back then, you, you mentioned before about uh, Joe Biden's infrastructure packages and uh, some of the stimulus packages that he's used to try and boost the economy post lockdown. But within that, there, there is a really serious cost of living crisis uh, developing in the, the United States. And th there seems to be something similar arising in the UK in terms of uh, fuel and en energy bills. Now, that, that initial post-lockdown stimulus package, it cost over a trillion dollars. And this new infrastructure package, this Build Back Better bill, as he's calling it, it is going to cost an additional $2 trillion. Mm -hmm. Now, is, is Joe Biden's economic policy high spend, high reward, or is it just economically illiterate? Because from the sounds of it, it just seems to be adding to the national debt, which is already soaring. I mean, I, I think this is really important for your listeners to know that you know, it's, it all sounds really good to get, you know, a check in the mail from your government for COVID or for furlough, especially, or, or the government wants to pay for your education, but there's no such thing as a free lunch. It's getting paid for by someone somewhere. And the way that happens is when you print a lot of money and you spend a lot of money that you don't have, then that does affect the cost of living. And costs will go up. And that's what we're experiencing now is, is the inflationary spending that started, yes, um, with Trump under COVID, but has been pushed even further by Joe Biden. And I think what's really dangerous is he's playing for short-term political gains and not thinking to long-term consequences on the everyday voter. And so... Yeah, people really like to see, like to feel like they're being taken care of by the government. But at the end of the day, they're going to be paying for it by, you know, there'll be less jobs to apply for. Um, they'll, you know, there'll be less benefits provided by an employer. The, you know, gas prices will go up, food will go out, there'll be shortages. Um, it just messes up the whole supply chain. And um Democrats know this. Larry Summer, who was Clinton's economic advisor and I think Treasury Secretary, said, warned about this last summer. Democratic economists know this. 
And Joe Biden's been in office long enough to understand what creates inflation. And so there's absolutely no excuse for this type of legislation, I think. Joe Manchin of West Virginia, a Democrat, you know, he said you've gone too far with spending and he won't support elements of his agenda because of it. There are voices on the left saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Even um, one of the economic advisors for Barack Obama said, enough, just stop. This is really bad for the economy. Um, so, you know, there's, in my opinion, there's no excuse for this. This is, they're not ignorant. They're doing this on purpose because they think it's going to help them politically, like in the midterms come November. But mm. um, I think it's ending up, it's going to hurt them. It's hurting them now, I think. We'll touch on the, the mid, midterms shortly, but let's, let's move on slightly to look at uh, things a, away from the, the domestic side. Let's look at foreign policy for a moment. And it seems to me that one of the biggest mistakes so far in Joe Biden's early presidency was the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And again, ju just as it was from the, the UK perspective, there's a, a real struggle and clamor just to get as many people out of Afghanistan as possible and as, as quickly as possible. But that, that withdrawal and the way it was almost botched in, in some ways, do you think that's undermined uh, Biden's and indeed America's position on the world stage? Oh, yeah, I know. I think it has. I think it will take a long time for it to recover. It was just really um, demoralizing for me as someone who's studying politics at the time at university during 9-11, 20 years ago. And then to see what, you know, what has happened 20 years later that we're right back to where we began before 9-11 with that horrible withdrawal, hasty withdrawal where we left our our own citizens, friends and allies behind enemy lines. You know, I can understand why people don't want to trust Americans right now. And I can understand why they don't want to trust um, a Joe Biden administration who's being quite lenient on China, um, wants to try to resurrect the Iran nuclear deal, which, you know, has no teeth in it whatsoever. <laughs> and uh, would you know, continue to facilitate Iran um, nuclear weapons program. So, you know, I hope that it will change in years to come, but um, the damage that this has done, I, I think we're going to pay for it for a long time. Well, in, in a press conference Joe Biden held this week to, to mark his uh, first anniversary in office, he's been accused of giving Russia essentially a green light to invade Ukraine, only if it is a minor incursion, as he puts it. What, what message does that send to Moscow and indeed America's other adversaries like China and Iran, as you mentioned there, about, about what U.S. foreign policy and indeed President Biden's position as the leader of the free world? Yeah, I mean, it gives the impression that as long as you take a small bite, we're not going to come after you, um, that that's OK. I mean, they're, they're basically saying we're not going to live up to our commitments to defend Europe and in, you know, sovereign states who are victims um, of, you know, Russian aggression or even Chinese aggression. I'm sure they're looking at Chinese are looking at this and saying, oh, Taiwan, we could just go take a, some of their beaches. That's all. I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's just a sign of weakness. It's not peace through strength. It's the exact opposite of what the Trump administration or the Reagan administration would do. I think it's actually the exact opposite George W. Bush or George H. W. Bush would have done. And it definitely sh shows Ukraine that we're not an ally of theirs. And you know, I wonder what Ukraine thinks of the U.S. and the presidency being that they had 
Joe Biden's son on the Burisma board and all the impeachment palaver that was happening two years ago. You know, the Ukraine has gotten quite a, has gotten involved in American politics quite a lot lately. It's, it's, it's disheartening, really. And I can understand why people wouldn't want to um, partner with the US at the moment. I think the way that the UK has responded has been very admirable. Uh, working with Poland and Ukraine and creating kind of a trilateral uh, wall and support for the Ukrainian people. And I'm really pleased to see the Brits step up in the world where there is clearly a hole in Western leadership um, against these tyrants. And I hope it continues. Well, it's, it's quite interesting to compare this current period in, in time, looking at Donald Trump's time in office, because while, while Trump was in office, there did almost seem to be a certain relative period of peace to some extent. You know, Ch- China wasn't so bullish about Taiwan. Russia wasn't making any moves against Ukraine. And even during impeachment, many accused President Trump of being almost a stooge for the Russian government. That was the reason he was impeached the first time, especially around uh, issues with Ukraine. But do you think there is something to be said in a number of leaders like President Xi in China or President Putin in Russia, seeing a Biden presidency as almost a free pass for expansionist pursuits? I mean, if I were in their shoes, I would. Biden wants to be the opposite of what Donald Trump was, right? Hmm. Because anything Trump that Trump did was bad, you know, because it's just Trump. Um, as opposed to actually looking at what worked in the Trump administration, giving Trump and his administration credit where credit is due. The Democrats have always tried to be more dovish, less hawkish, um, you could say. Yeah, they, I, would, I would say that it gives definitely the green light to do certain things um, that they know they're not going to get pushback for. And it kind of reminds me of like uh, Obama's red line when it came to chemical weapons in Syria. Um, there was absolutely no repercussions for that. And that civil war kept getting going on and on and nastier and nastier. Mm. I think that Joe Biden doesn't understand the role he's in and the role he could play, or if he does, he, he clearly has a different view, which I think is uh, futile and useless. Um, he's been in government long enough to know what works and what doesn't work. I mean, Bob Gates, who was Secretary of Defense under Bush and Obama, has said on many occasions that Joe Biden has been on the wrong side of history many times. Barack Obama even said about his own vice president, don't underestimate how Joe Biden can bleep it up. This is this is all things that we shared in the debates and Um, you know, the Republicans tried to put forward to the American people about Joe Biden. But the bottom line was, is he wasn't Trump. Just sticking with Donald Trump for a moment, his departure from office was the trigger for the riots and the scenes that we saw at at the Capitol on the the 6th of January 2021. Now, was this actually an, an insurrection, as many in the media have said it was, and as Congress impeached Trump for a second time for? Or was this simply just a protest that got out of hand? I think I think it was a protest that got very much out of hand, and it ends completely. By the way, I condemn it. Mm, <laughs> I think yeah. it was, uh, completely wrong and inappropriate, mm. and um, should have never happened. Mm. Uh, I think the president did play um, a role in it, uh, and he should have actually been much more forthright in stopping it as it was unfolding. Uh, I think their responsibility to the D.C. mayor should have called in a National Guard, the National Guard, to come and defend the Capitol. They had warnings that this was 
um, that there were people who wanted to do such things and they didn't respond to them. I think there's a lot of people that hold a lot of responsibility for that day. Um, and this was actually when I stepped away from supporting the president who I had um, defended in 2020 in the campaign and I had voted for, but I thought he lacked real leadership on January 6th. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't. I I think the Democrats love to take advantage of January sixth and all its ugliness, but mm-hmm. they don't like to look at their own side, such as Antifa, who has been terrorizing cities, particularly Portland and Seattle, for almost two years now, and have even crossed over into our shores as well. So um, I I think that the Democrats um, need to do some self reflection as well. There's radicalism on both sides and the parties need to rein them in. Those scenes at the Capitol, they seem to be a, a real reflection and a, almost a, a symbol of the immense divisions that we, we've seen over the last five, six years in, in the United States. And COVID-19 and lockdown have only been deepening those divisions. Now, is, is Joe Biden actually the person who can heal those longstanding rifts, especially after he's stood in the 2020 election? on a platform, as he called it, to win the battle for the soul of the nation. Yeah, I think he's completely lost the plot. He had all year to do that. And yet he has demonized Republicans as white supremacists, as hearkening back to like Jim Crow days, which for your listeners was when there were real obstacles for black people to vote, racist obstacles, but calling, trying to unite the country and yet calling your opposition racist doesn't help. That doesn't unify. It's just not true. We just had the first Republican Lieutenant Governor of Virginia elected in November, and she just was sworn in last week. She's a U.S. Marine. She's a Jamaican immigrant. And you know what? She served in the U.S. Marine Corps before she was a U.S. citizen. And she's a Republican woman, pro-Second Amendment, African-American. We're, you know, sorry, if we're all a bunch of racists, she wouldn't join our party. You know, the first Hispanic attorney general of the Commonwealth of Virginia was just inaugurated. You know, again, if we're all a bunch of racists, we wouldn't have Hispanics and black people in our party. And these are not just outliers, by the way. <laughs> There's, they're, they're throughout the country. Trump grew support among Hispanics and African-Americans in 2020. And I think growing exponentially now because of Joe Biden. So this rhetoric does work with some people, but most people know it's just not true. Okay, well, let's let's move away from Joe Biden for a moment and let's look ahead to the midterm elections in November. Now, again, for, for listeners who aren't avid followers of US politics, why should we take an interest in the midterms? Aren't they just another set of parliamentary or local elections in another country? They are. And they probably you probably won't um, agree with all their points of view or understand where they come from on things, because America is culturally different. We may somewhat speak the same language, but we do have a different history um, and a, a different perspective on the world. But they represent local interests at the national level, and they will help to realign the uh, partisan makeup of the U.S. Congress. And that will decide whether Joe Biden can continue to push through radical left-wing agenda or more spending. U.S. House of Representatives, it's very close right now. It's about four or five seats um, away from 
Republicans taking over. The Republicans are set to probably take the House back. There's also redistricting going on because of the 10-year census that was just done, um, giving um, Republicans more seats because a lot of the state legislatures are run by Republicans. And by the way, gerrymandering goes on both sides of the aisle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did Democrats yeah. do it too? You could look up some of the really funky-sized congressional districts. Yeah. Uh, in America, you know, so that we have more minority representation, et cetera, um, uh, in Congress, but also the Senate will decide a tremendous amount. And Joe Biden's having a really hard time with about a 51 uh, vote right now, or majority in the Senate, and uh, what is it, 52? And uh, it could even become more difficult after the midterms, which I think it will be. I, I, I predict a red wave is coming a GOP red wave. And um, I think the Republicans will have maybe not massive majorities in both chambers, um, but a, but um, a, a pretty strong one. I think people are really unhappy with the direction the country is going right now. We saw in the election in Virginia, which Virginia um, is kind of different from the rest of the country where they have their gubernatorial in an odd year. So they have their governor's race in the year after the presidential. And it's always kind of a bellwether as to how the country is doing, and especially because it borders with Washington, D.C. So Virginia has been a purple state, meaning it is a flip state between um, Democrats who are blue and Republicans who are red. But it's it's been voting Democrat for the last 12 years. Well, for the first time in 12 years, Republicans swept all three top offices. And um, they they took a lot of Democrat votes in the northern part of the state near Washington, D.C., and it was over parental control of their children and their children's education. And so that's going to be um, a real big message in the midterms. It's going to be about empowering the parents against the bureaucrats and getting back to normal. So on, on this revival of the Republican Party at the moment, as, as you've su- suggested there and going into the midterms, if Congress does flip, so the Republicans take the House of Representatives and the Senate, what, what does that actually mean for Democrat Joe Biden and the remainder of his presidency? And s- similarly, if, if only one of the chambers of Congress flips, again, how does that impact the remainder of his presidency? or first term anyway. I mean, I just don't think he can get his legislative agenda through. He'll be Mm -hmm. completely hemmed in unless he moderates himself, Mm -hmm. unless he comes back to the center, which I hope he does, because I don't like, you know, I don't like these mass, you know, these vaccine mandates, Mm -hmm. you know, that he was, I don't like everything having to go to the Supreme Court to be decided because it's so divisive. Um, You know, he put in a mandate that has been overturned by the Supreme Court, but that basically every employer with over 100 employees, all their employees had to be vaccinated to go to work. I I mean, unconstitutional in in that sentence, in my opinion. Start putting constitutional laws before Congress and you might get some things passed. I hope that he he finds that it's better to moderate. It's kind of like here in this country, like no one really wanted to be up against Jeremy Corbyn. He was too mm. far left and he got way too darn close to number 10 Downing Street. So I kind of feel that way about the Democrats. Can you please come back to some common sense right. and, mm-hmm. um, and let's agree on a few things. Let's find ways where we agree on, not just what we disagree on. So l- looking ahead then even further to the next presidential election, 2024, do you think Joe Biden will run for a second term? 
Ah, that's like the million dollar question, isn't it? Because he has a really poor performing um, number two, Kamala Harris. She's not popular. She wasn't even popular to begin with. She couldn't even enter the primary in 2020. Like she only got 2% of the vote nationwide and was never competitive in, um, I didn't, she didn't even stand in any of the primary caucuses um, with for the Democrats. She clearly is there because she's a black woman. Um, and she, she can smile, but she has a horrible laugh. So, um, I mean, let's see, let's go back to Joe. Joe 2024. So he's what? He's 79 now. He was 78 last year. So he'll be 82. 82. And then that would put him at like 86 at the end of his second term. I I have a very hard time believing that. Um I'm starting to notice op-eds in the Washington Post that say, oh, we have a great lineup of really strong candidates in the Democratic Party. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. You guys are thinking that way too. Right now, from all my sources that are close to the hub of the Democrats, um, they have no one else. Right. That they, and they are all behind Joe. So the okay. idea right now, year two, and they have time to turn things around, they say, mm -hmm. it's Joe Biden. Um, even if they, even if he doesn't win, I'm not sure. I, I think Kamala Harris will put her hat in the ring at some point, but I don't think she'll win. Um, the, she won't win the primary. So um, as of right now, I do think Joe Biden runs for a second term, but I think that could change. So let, let's say in a, in a hypothetical world in 2024, Joe Biden doesn't uh, stand for re-election. Uh, Vice President Harris does get the nomination. Who, who would be the front runners to be her running mate? I think Pete Buttigieg, the transport secretary, who was the former South Bend, Indiana mayor. He's also, um, a, a, you know, he's he's known for being um, a gay father um, and, and having um, a husband. So he would be, you know, the first gay couple on a, on a U.S. ticket. And for Democrats, inputs and identity politics is really important. So for them, like, that's a great rally. Forget about the fact that he's only ever earned 8,500 votes in his whole life. And he'd be like the vice president of the United States, uh, being a mayor of a small town. I mean, he did serve his country. He was um, a reservist. He's, oh, he's brilliant. You know, and the Democrats and their brilliance, they just love, they love to be ruled by like really smart, big brains that went to Harvard and the Ivy League. So they can tell us what to do, like, you know, to wear cloth masks because they're perfectly, because they work. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, if anything, COVID should have done is just to teach us that these people in these ivory towers don't know everything. Um, yeah. But the Democrats love being told what to do by really smart people with big brains. Um, whereas I prefer, um, you know, track records. And I like mm -hmm. governors because yeah. I can see how well they've done in governing. So I think Pete Buttigieg, sorry, I've gone on a tangent, but yeah. Pete Buttigieg, and otherwise I have no idea. I okay. do not know their bench of talent right now. So look, looking at the Republican side of this, if Donald Trump did run for the Republican nomination again, as he has suggested, do you think he could win the nomination and then potentially go on to have a rematch with Joe Biden? I think there's a chance that, but I did just see polling from NBC um, yesterday that said that the party, that people identify with the Republican party more than with Donald Trump. And because there is an alternative to Donald Trump who's quite palatable and who has proven his um, MAGA-ness, 
so to speak. He is at Ron DeSantis of Florida. So he has been a real freedom fighter for civil liberties uh, during the COVID crisis. His, the death uh, rate for COVID, for COVID in Florida has ranked 17th in the country. And he has a lot of people who are elderly with comorbidities, but yet they maintain to, they haven't been one of the top uh, COVID death rates, but he's been able to also keep people's lives going on as normal. So that has been ultra appealing. He's also fought against a critical race theory. He's um, he sounded a, a bit like Trump, but with more statesmanlike appeal. So he appeals a lot to the suburban voter that Trump lost in 2020, um, and that the Republican Party needs to get back. The Republican Party has shown that it can win without a MAGA candidate, such as Glenn Youngkin, the governor of Virginia now. He's very much in in line with the traditional Republican CV um, and did not embrace Trump in his election campaign, but he didn't uh, criticize Trump either. But he just kept Trump out of the conversation and he won overwhelmingly independents and Democrats. So I think that's the recipe that Republicans need to take into 2024. And I think Ron DeSantis is a great option for that. I do not think Republicans should go with Donald Trump again. And also he won't be a spring chicken. He'll be in his late seventies. He'll be the same age as Joe Biden is now roughly. Um, I think we need to take away what Trump did right in his four years in office um, and take that message, but it, with a new messenger. And the, there have also been rumors that Hillary Clinton is looking at a, a return to public life and could potentially have a, a third run for the Oval Office. I mean, oh it, I mean in, in a country of 350 million people, how is it that two of the front runners for the presidency of the United States are Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump again? Uh, well, I think this just goes to show that Um, Hillary Clinton has a lot of friends still in the media who would like to see her run and may put that out there as feelers, or she may ask them to put feelers out there for her. I mean, in America to win, you need to have money and name recognition. And that's something that these two people have (laughs) loads of it. Um, And, but I agree with you. I think we can do better. And uh, I think it's time to let other people lead. And that's also why I believe in term limits for politicians. Okay, so just to finish then, let's bring our conversation back to Joe Biden. What what do you see as the the biggest challenges that he faces now for the next 12 months and indeed for the remainder of his first term? He needs to turn the economy around. He needs to get prices down, the cost of living down. He needs to stop spending money. Um, And then he also needs to be fortifying our allies overseas. I hope and stop worrying about identity politics. Stop worrying about who's the first trans this, who's the first gay that, who's the first black. Stop, stop. And stop talking, stop calling your enemies racist. Mm -hmm. That's the only argument the Democrats have for Republicans. And that needs to stop Mm -hmm. because it doesn't help the country. And it's just not true. Okay, Sarah Elliott, thank you very much for coming on the show. Great.
Welcome back to the show. Thank you very much to Sarah Elliott for coming on. And if you want to hear more about Sarah's thoughts on President Biden's first year in office and the upcoming midterm elections, then the full interview will be made available as a podcast on your favourite podcast platform from Monday. And I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week. But before we go, let's check in with the final poll result. A reminder, the question of the day is, has Joe Biden's presidency been a success so far? Well, only 26% of you say yes, it has, but 74% of you say no, it has not. Well, thank you to everyone who's listened to this week's episode, and thanks to everyone who's sent in messages live. If your message wasn't read out this week, then please do try again next week. Thanks again to my guest, Sarah Elliott. I'm Nathan Eckersley, and I'll be back at the same time, same place, next week. Goodbye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.